0: You are listening to Post-Growth Australia podcast, the podcast where better is definitely better than bigger. Salutations all and sundry and welcome to episode six of Post-Growth Australia podcast. During the past week, it has been a tragic dark comedy of errors in Melbourne Two weeks out of lockdown, a gusty storm came through, leaving around 80 suburbs without power or clean water. Now talk about being flogged when you're already down. It is at times like this, just when my sense of apocalypse becomes particularly looming, when I start thinking about to the good old days. Now, one memory lane I travel down often during these times is when I first moved to Melbourne as a fresh-eyed social worker and animal rights activist from Perth. And what a different time and place Melbourne was eight years ago in so many ways. Soon after the move, I first started coming across limits of growth and collapse in a serious way. I think it was a combo of seeing a talk by richard Heinberg on peak oil followed by a talk by nicole foss on collapse the following month this kind of freaked me out at the time still does <laughs> naturally and really got me thinking about limits to growth in a huge way and this has really informed my activism from there on i started hanging around permaculturists local community activists and simple living folk and found myself involved with a local activist group doing it ourselves. I came across DIO's video, what the economic crisis really means and what can we do about it. Decided to join on the spot and soon found myself as a core administrator of the group and DIO's international uh, representative uh, within weeks of joining. I don't know how that happened. I must have had a trustworthy face at the time. Anyway, I was DIO's rep for the Post-Growth Alliance, a worldwide social media sharing platform collaborative run by the Post-Growth Institute. Through this experience, I came to learn so much about what Post-Growth actually meant. And there were so many collaborating groups and organizations out there from across the globe, envisioning an alternative to the endless growth paradigm. The other common reminiscence I have is when I lived in Kenya for six months back in 2007. I was on a development exchange run by a global student-run initiative called ISEC. There's going to be a lot of acronyms in this uh, intro. Sorry about that. For this exchange, I spent most of my time in a village called Rabul Sinaga. I think that's how it's pronounced. Not far from Lake Victoria. I had various roles, including... Uh, working at the orphanage, the polytechnic, the school program and the local news office. What was far more important to the work was that my eyes were totally opened to a whole new different world and way of being than what I was used to in Australia. The pace of life was slower for a start. Uh, When people said five minutes, that could mean anything from two hours to sometimes next week, and I had to ride that. Uh, The children were happy and the community seemed more interactive and connected. This was despite the myriad of hardships, poverty, substance abuse. And at the time, I was living in a region with one of the higher HIV rates in the world. Light and dark, they lived twisted and tangled over each other in this unique, lush, tropical land. I befriended a lot of people involved with the church, from the Catholics to the Pentecostal faiths mostly. And as I was a proud atheist, child free, and pro choice kind of guy, this led to some very interesting conversations. Um, I remember staunchly defending my choice on small families, among many other things. Uh, My new friends, as you can imagine, had contrasting opinions. Looking back, I'm quite amazed that generally we kept things very civil. I think I got away with it by virtues coming across as a curious young naïve oddity. Um, However, the experience was very informative in my learning about the art of mutual respect and exchange of ideas and being you know, diplomatic and open, especially as I was a minority abroad in the country with its own legacy of colonisation from my ancestors who did what they did because they assumed that they knew best. And my takeaway that there is little point to any dialogue uh, with our international neighbours from the global north to the global south and vice versa, unless it's on a level playing field, that is absolutely critical. So the question must be begged, am I simply free-forming musing here, um, being self-indulgent, or am I actually reaching a point at some stage? Well, hopefully both. For you see, Post Growth Institute very kindly accepted my invitation for an interview on this podcast. Furthermore, they connected me with their partnerships manager, Robert Wanalo. As Robert and I were discussing the interview, we discovered that Robert lives in the same part of Western Kenya where I spent those formative months all those 13 years ago. In fact, we figured that we're all about four or five kilometres away max. So it really does just goes to show, doesn't it, that sometimes... Life goes in twists and roundabouts before coming full circle. Gosh, sometimes I really do think this is a funny old world after all. What can I say? I'm really looking forward to sharing this interview with a former neighbour and a current game changer with a great PGI. But hold your horses. Not until we have heard a bit of music to serenade us with first. I would like to present... This modern world is built on trash from local musician Sam Trouse. Not only do I love the title, but if you listen closely, you'll pick up on its apathy environmental themes. Please sit back and enjoy the PGAP interview with PGI's Robert Wanalo, and I'll see you on the other side with a few musings on post-Earth Overshoot Day and the Free Money Day that's coming up soon.
1: Why did you throw the deck of cards away, I don't know Framing pictures obsolete and fake, let it go Reality's a miracle You're getting off here lightly, don't you know When is reality a miracle In this modern Buy a seventh watch today, I don't know. Can't say no. Judging love is so pathetic, and now it's a show. It's a show. You're getting off your life.
0: So welcome back to Post-Growth Australia podcast. Um, You know, there are a few episodes into the podcast and I'm excited to finally be interviewing someone from the Post-Growth Institute, uh, the mothership as I like to call it. Uh, Robert Wanalo, how are you?
2: I'm doing good. How are you doing today, Michael?
0: Robert, just... Quickly, how would you summarise yourself and the work and your passion around post-growth in a 10 keyword snapshot or less? I'll,
2: I'll go for an 11 or a
0: 12. <laughs> that's okay. That's allowed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, um, I'd say that I'm curious and committed to co-creating um, an economy of care that works for all life, really.
0: Now, the other reason I'm so excited to be interviewing you, Robert, is uh, 13 years ago, when I was uh, 2007, we were practically neighbours. Yeah. So I was in Western Kenya in uh, Raboa near Kisumu, near Lake Victoria. And uh, when we were talking, I found out that you were just a few kilometres practically over the road. I'm really curious, so many of the interviews that I have done are with other people from the global north, and so a lot of our conversations are based and through their lens of perspective on the global north. Um, and from your perspective, what are the impacts of growth-based, you know, globalised, neoliberal uh, society in Kenya? What I'm very curious if there's a unique Kenyan experience. Yeah,
2: and I guess for me what seems to be the case, like especially when you're doing the desk research around economics in Africa or in Kenya, there's always something you'll see called jobless growth, um, whereby you have countries, economies, recording growth by the year, regardless of how little or how big the percentage varies, but it's always kind of growing. And you can see the industries behind them growing and becoming more profitable and becoming bigger, but with a large percent of the population, the young population really not being integrated into the economy and finding place to really seek livelihoods and you know support their own personal well-being. On the there's this whole idea of unemployment being a really, really big issue. But the fact is that the economy is not accommodating the majority of the people who need to be in the economy in order to to thrive and survive. And so, yeah, I guess as a young person, I've experienced that in various shapes and forms. So I guess that really is maybe in brief what my perspective
0: Yes. Yeah. And I remember even 13 years ago in Kenya, like uh, Westlands in Nairobi was such a different world to Luanda. It was, uh, it's, I felt, how could these two places be in the same country? I mean, you know, there's income inequality in Australia too, but the stark contrasts really blew my mind.
2: Yeah. And I guess that really is. It's quite surprising really. I don't know, I watched this thing about somebody I think the founder of Jumia, which is kind of like the Amazon for in Africa, like the biggest e-commerce, and he was talking about just debunk debunking the myth around Africa and really showing beautiful pictures of a growing and developing Africa that really on a broad sense kind of debunks the myth that Africa is kind of like a, a deeply third world country, but also on the other hand is showing snapshots of this growing and thriving economy that we were talking about previously that by its structure and design is very, very exclusive for a large percentage of African people. And so you have people in government and people in the private sector who are extremely wealthy. But on the other hand, you have a vast majority of people who are, um, you know, very poor. And that's kind of really is the scenario about how it is in, 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 in Kenya.
0: Yeah, I think so many people uh, from the Global North would actually be surprised, you know, how many skyscrapers, for example, there are in so many capital cities across, um, Uh, Africa it's not the typical (laughs) snapshot that Mm -hmm. I think um, people have but when I was in Kenya the light there were a couple of light bulb moments for me I think when I was watching a hill with a um, local on the Kagamega forest and could see it being um literally being cut down on all all sides yeah, in, in order for people just just to survive you, you know and depending on the wood and the resources from the forest but actually see it shrinking before our eyes and I was wondering if there's what's the light bulb moment for you that's gone okay we can't continue as we are um, a, a different post growth economy and steady state society needs to the answer
2: it wasn't necessarily a light bulb moment but it was really part of my lived experience as a child and young person um my dad from a very one of the uh, one of the words we learned past seven years old in our house as kids was economize because our dad was very categorically clear that we need to understand the close Correlation between how we consume things within our household and how that relates to the energy and the effort put towards bringing them in to the household with basically the work that our mom and dad did. Just slowly and slowly, as I got older, you know, just seeing that's really what um like when they talk about Xenophon, talking about the foundation of economics was management of resources at the household level. So I guess that was kind of like an intuitive introduction into you know what is the basis of economics. And so, but really the light bulb moment for me was reading the work of John Fullerton, who is kind of like, not necess- he doesn't call himself a pioneer, He recognizes that he's standing on the shoulders of various pioneers. And so he's championing something called regenerative capitalism and regenerative economics. And and what does it mean to have an economy that by design cares for people and really cares for the planet within which we all live and depend on? And so that really was the pivotal moment that really now put me on into the rabbit hole of exploring all of these different things. And without that, I still might have been in the world doing something else. So that really was the first entry point into this whole paradigm of
0: thought. And from that entry point, I mean, you've really brought that into your um, professional and activist life um, because now you are a working member of Post-Growth Institute. So, yeah, for the listeners out there, I was wondering if you could give us a spiel on what uh, PGI is and uh, how you got involved with them.
2: Yeah, and I guess um, even like how I got involved with them is also coincidentally part and parcel of the kind of role I played there. And so I joined this this organization called the Wellbeing Economy Alliance, was one of those networks that I joined. And so, wow, like, so there are people who are building global networks to see how we can address these issues together. So I joined We All last year. And so there's this event that PGI organizes, the Offers and Needs Market, which is basically an event that connects people and really helps people discover the assets within the room and the needs within the room, and then connect them to each other. And this could happen online or offline. So um, I participated in that, and fate kind of brought (laughs) Donnie and myself to to connect with each other. And so after a few emails, we had a call and he asked me, Hey, would you like to um, participate in, or be a part of the PGI in any shape or form? And we can find a place um, for you if you'd, if you'd like it. And so I did some research and just, PGI is really a pioneering voice around exploring the possibility around what does an economic system by design really cares and puts people and the planet at the center. And how does economy as we know it change when that becomes the priority. And so in this kind of paradigm that we're in, where growth at all costs is the core driver I felt connected to that and, of course, was very happy to join them on last year. And so the role that I'm playing is kind of twofold. I'm working with them in movement building because one thing that's lovely about this whole movement in general is that it's a very easy to, to see that they're all kind of connected the different people in different parts of the world. So my role is about building the connective tissue around the different organizations that are doing work in the post-growth or in the new economy space and really seeing how we can build relationships and possibly, you know, that being the fodder for collaborating in the future. So that would be my role in a nutshell and also um, a little bit about what the Post-Growth Institute does or focuses on.
0: And the key thing that I do get uh, from the PGI is how good it is at actually kind of connecting and drawing people together and sharing skills. So I've been involved with PGI, with the Post-Growth Alliance. um, Back in the days I was, uh, I suppose, a go-to person for doing it ourselves, an Australian-based organisation. Um, and just discovering all the worldwide organisations like the Simplicity Institute and the Schumacher Centre and all the amazing things they were doing. One of the great things I do like to dig into in this podcast is with all interviews getting their own unique perspective of what a post-growth society looks to them like um you know what would be a day in the life of someone <laughs> um living in a post-growth society you know what would be the changes in work and how we relate to people and their income and and that and also you know f- from your perspective what it might look like in Kenya as well. So a very open ended question, but <laughs> um yeah.
2: And I guess what I really love is um, the Capital Institute, which is the organization that um, John Fullerton founded, um, has created this eight principles for regenerative capitalism. And one of them that I really felt connected to from the very first time I read it was Honours, Community and Place. First and foremost, it's a matter of being deeply respectful to people in the various dimensions and diversity that we as human beings bring and realizing our inherent connection to place with regards to your local neighborhood but also you know in the larger world within which we exist so for me i'm seeing our post-growth world being one where we are a lot more connected to each other we begin to see more intently our relationship with the planet and really seeing that our livelihood is deeply connected to the health of the planet, and when our economic system is one that undermines the health of the planet it's it's a disaster waiting to happen, really, because you would not you would not destroy the house that gives you shelter in the winter so by chipping at it brick by brick because you think it's your house is too formidable not to break but inevitably after some time it's gonna begin to show signs and they're gonna be cracks and all of these different things so it's about honoring people and about respect of place these were deeply held worldviews by indigenous peoples across the world and across the globe and how this was a form of intuitive understanding and practice for indiv- indigenous people so this is also connected to how we as a collective are rediscovering not just indigenous worldviews, but our also our indigenous connections be it in the global north or south
0: what what do you say to people like the mentality of endless growth is really ingrained i've been reading a book um about how we need to decolonize everyone from our concepts of growth. So what do you say for people who say we can have keep growing if we have renewables or we can decouple growth from the physical limitations of the planet and what about resource substitution and technology and human cleverness and all those kind of things that are used as a kind of excuses for Maintaining the growth system that we live in
2: I've been very slowly but consistently uh looking into the work of um this lady called Nora Bateson, who is um I think president of the International Bateson Institute, and they have this idea or this concept called warm data that really is a new and radical way of helping people see the complex interdependence that we all exist in. I remember her speaking and she saying that um, if you look at the economy as one particular context and you look into it and you look at the ideas that are held and the outcomes that are being created, then if you're only considering economy, then the economy is doing good. In fact, the economy is doing really well. And if we are only talking about economics in and of itself, then it's it's doing really well. And um, probably you might say then it doesn't need to change it at all. But the fact is that economy is nested in society, which is a whole system within its, in and of itself. And society is nested within the planet or, natural environment and that's a whole other system when you look at growth continuing to happen and seeing that of course you need natural resources to grow but then not acknowledging that you need to give the planet time to regenerate there's a problem there because as we were talking about consumption earlier as you began talking about the overshoot day we are consuming a whole year's you know, resources in five or six months. The Earth's capacity to regenerate does not respond according to how we consume, but it responds according to how it naturally occurs. It's really about now the economy or economic thinking to expand, to incorporate what the needs of society are and how the natural world operates and how then these thinkings about innovation, about all of these different things that you mentioned earlier, how that changes when you begin to consider all of these other things, you know, and I guess it's also um, something which, of course, they've called reductionism. How you see any anything negative that happens as a result of the economy is uh, an externality, meaning okay, it's a it's an outcome, but it's not directly related to how the economy works because you know within our thinking this is good so it's about economy and economic thinking to widen its lens and see how deeply interdependent and interrelated it is to other systems in the world
0: Some very fine words of wisdom there, Robert. Thank you so much. (laughs) And uh, and, uh, it's all coming back down to connection and interconnection, you know, that we're one part of a vast uh, ecosystem. One of the organisations that have made this podcast possible is Sustainable Population Australia. So at some point I do need to ask the question on population and I suppose I'm particularly curious because um, a couple of episodes ago, I um, interviewed a couple of staff members from Chase Africa who is it's a partnership between the u k and Kenya in which um, help to provide access to family planning and um, contraception services um they did say you know it's it it is a controversial thing and within in the context of africa being you know one of the fastest growing continents in in the world in terms of population like i'm seeing the size of uh, lagos in nigeria the size of kampala in uganda and um, even nairobi just um you know, the populations have, have have climbed so much in those places. Do, do you have any any thoughts in regards to population, what that plays within the post-growth movement? Well,
2: I guess it, it's lovely that you mentioned the population and you talked about urban areas and how that's grown. When you think about people reaching majority age post their high school here in Kenya, the first thing is that, okay, I'm no longer a child, so I need economic opportunity. And I want to find the easiest way to get to that as soon as possible. And the first right answer is, okay, I need to go to the city, you know, because that's where I'll find economic opportunity. So you can see that is what makes these major cities become a pull for young people from different parts of these countries you've mentioned to go and find those economic opportunities. But then when they go there and they find the forms of employment that are waiting for them, they are either very, very difficult to get to, they are either paying little to almost very menial amounts of money. It becomes a very complex thing where you find majority of young people located in urban areas are living in very harsh conditions. So, you know, when I think about that, then I'm thinking about, okay, so if, what's the economic thinking that our public institutions have, you know, they're more focused on promoting the economy that is growing in the typical industries of manufacturing and banking and all of this. But it seems that the awareness that economy is really about creating place for everybody in the country so that now it does not become the the government's responsibility to worry about, okay, how do we empower these people? How do we use our resources to give the vulnerable people? How can we, by design, look for a solution that supports people? And because simply because these kinds of solutions are not readily available, you know, within the country and within the continent, and looking at these outcomes of youth and employment and all of these different things and poverty as just outcomes that came out of the blue, then they become very complex things to address. But the whole idea of post-growth economy and well-being economy looks at these societal and economic outcomes, but also on the other hand, back to what you're talking about, population, if now we zoom out and we look at the world from a bird's eye view and then we see that we have seven billion people on the earth and we are growing at a very high rate then from a highly detached point of view you can say that definitely something needs to be to be done with regards to how population is growing within the world and probably, you know, if you look at nature and you see how nature finds its own natural ways to control population uh, in different kinds of ways, and so of course it seems that there needs to be these kinds of measures and ways for human beings, but simply because of who we are and our nature as human beings, it needs to be deeply considered about how these measures for population growth and control how to put those in place because if they are imposed then they become patriarchal or they become they become um, hierarchical or they become you know racist in how some of these measures are imposed because on the superficial level it's necessary my two cents on it is that it really needs to come from a point of human rights and particularly women's rights and really recognizing that um anything with that is concerning population is something that uh, the reproductive health is something that directly affects women women's bodies and women's lives and so i guess i'm beginning to in my re-education, realizing that women should be put at the forefront of this discussion and um, yeah and of course even the larger systems within within which women exist, especially in Africa whereby population control and and all of this reproductive health is complex societal issue is a complex religious issue is a complex um traditional worldview issue whereby sometimes you find conflict with these various groups about the beliefs that are held and so it's really about beginning from where the issue is and how to address it in a in a really thoughtful and sensitive way so i guess that's that's my thought
0: i remember when i was in kenya having some very robust debate <laughs> um as someone who's always been very proudly child free you know i befriended a catholic priest um and uh, you know a couple of pentecostal priests uh, in my time in kenya we had some very robust conversations and i think the one thing i've learned from those experiences it's a topic that needs to be tackled sensitively so um, that's been my takeaway (laughs) uh, message particularly particularly when you're overseas so and that
2: relates to one of the other principles in the regenerative capitalism principles around empowered participation and so empowered is about first and foremost creating the place for people to participate and then doing what you can to give the resources or to discover the already existing resources to make the kind of change you want to happen work and so I've been looking at community wealth building as a Practice for economic development and how it's working in different scenarios and contexts. International development can be informed by community wealth building principles that are really ground up. One thing that uh, a couple of things I love that the post growth institute does is that they really come down to the core of what economy means. And it's really about, you know, authentic human exchange. These really are the basis for how we participate in the economy. And so um, they have the offers and needs market, which really helps to, you know, create that awareness through a living practice about exchanging. The other one is the Free Money Day, whereby every September they organize this event whereby they. Giving out money and then the only condition is that you have to give a part of that money to somebody else and then, you know, give that condition to that other person so that people, it creates a kind of dialogue around, you know, what, um, radical generosity and radical care means. And so I guess, um, in this new world, I guess it would really be about seeing what's the place for care and what's the place for love in in economic thinking and practice.
0: Bringing love back into economics. Robert, you have been an absolute pearl of wisdom. (laughs) I, I would love to be able to talk to you for hours. Perhaps we can talk again one time. So look, if people would like to follow you and follow Post Growth Institute and find out more and keep abreast of the campaigns and initiatives, what can they do and where can they go?
2: The Post-Growth Institute, ha- they're on all Facebook and, and Twitter as the Post-Growth Institute and we have a very active Medium account with, you know, all kinds of articles and information and, you know, ideas that are very frequently shared so you can follow us on Medium, same name, Post-Growth Institute and um if you're interested in the various campaigns and events that are organized by uh, by the by our organization. There's the offers and needs market training, which has just been completed, but is being very frequently organized. So you can go and find more about that at the postgrowthinstitute.org. And um, the free money day, of course, is coming in uh, next month. So of course, um through through the website you can find more about the free money day and maybe one more thing to speak on um very briefly is uh there's the upcoming new program by the PGI called the pgi fellowship which is um that's a, a a program to really bring a whole systems view of the transformation that needs to happen socially and economically and ecologically during this time from both leading voices in the field and emerging voices from both the global north and global south that I'm also going to be a part of. So it's going to be happening. We're going to be contributing to our thinking and our articles are going to be featured on uh, the pgims medium account so that's probably something to look forward to
0: that's absolutely great so much going on and i for one are really looking forward to following your latest endeavors from yourself uh, robert and the post growth institute so thank you so much for your time robert and uh, here's to a better world
2: Absolutely, thank you so much for having me, Michael, and um, thank you so much for the supporters of this great podcast. In Swahili, we say "asante uh, sana," or which simply means, you know, thank you very much. So, yeah.
0: you are listening to Post Growth Australia podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bayless. I just finished talking to Robert Wanalo from Post Growth Institute. I was very impressed by how knowledgeable and learned and well-read Robert is. He's given me a lot of homework. There are a few names I've never heard of before. Uh, for any listener of Post Growth Australia podcast, please do check out Post Growth Institute. uh, If only for the Semantic Association, I can assure you they are much better than uh, (laughs) likeness in names. So it's about a week and a half since Earth Overshoot Day. Um, And this year I get the sense that it was released to not much fanfare in the mainstream media. Certainly the ABC didn't invite me back, but hats off to Global Footprint Network, um, I think us base, who do such a good job at pushing this message out there in the global sphere. Thanks, GFN. Um, in about 15 days, We are going to have a free money day and Post Growth Institute is going to be spearheading this. So on September 15th people hand out their own money to complete strangers asking the recipients to pass half on to others. It's a chance to explore how it feels to freely share something we're taught to accumulate and for us it's an opportunity to learn more about how people view money and what they know about how it's created. So I'm really happy to share that uh, my interview with Derek Jensen for Episode 5 was very, very well received, probably the best received and the most listened of any of the podcasts. Um, Simon reviewed the episode in Stitcher and he said the podcast is highly recommended and being Australian, especially appreciated. Derek Jensen in Episode 5 has a great way of explaining the issues around our growth-addicted culture and economic, drawing compassionately on history and a wide range of perspectives. Well done, Michael. I hope to hear more of Derek too. Well, I hope to hear more of Derek too, Simon, and thank you for the lovely words. Um, Another listener, Eleanor, says, how greatly matched you were. The questions you asked Derek gave him space to speak on the things he was passionate about. Really well-directed and held space in interviewing. It is exciting to talk about things at this level of nuance. Huge, huge ups for you. There are people out there willing to go to this level of depth and unafraid to respect the listener's capacity to go down the depths and nuance with you. Thank you so much, Eleanor. feeling warm vibes at the moment, uh, which is good for me during these very interesting times. Next episode, I will be uh, talking to Anitra Nelson, who's written a lot of very good books, Um, has just come up with a new book, Degrowth, A Critical Guide, and she will be exploring um, degrowth with me. So I look forward very much to seeing you, <laughs> you personally, in hopefully a week and a half if I get my app together.